right, let's start. <laughs> Welcome to episode 94 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Uh, joining me is JP Breen, and we got Ryan. He decided to spill a beer on the table right before we started, so he's up getting paper towel right now. JP, did you see all that happen, or you just hear my reaction to it? I just heard your reaction, and I saw Ryan say, well, that's what I get for sitting at the edge of, edge of the table. It's the, only, it's the only time you see Ryan leap to action is when like beer has been spilled. He's, he's sloth-like otherwise. Well, we, we don't want it getting on any of this expensive equipment. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want it just you know not getting into your mouth is what you're worried about. This is a new low in professionalism for this podcast, by the way. I don't know. We got some lows. <laughs> I don't even think it's the low in professionalism because as soon as you got up and and like decided to make a big thing that you were going to go get some paper towels, Steve jumped into action. He's like, we're starting. Yeah, no, <laughs> yes. I, could, I could hear it from the other room. So, yeah, that's what happens. And we've had, what, a couple weeks now since we've all been here? Well, we were together two weeks ago, but then it was like a month before that, so... So like the second time in like well over a month. So we're just we're just trying to get back in the swing of things. Yes. Just like the Try- Brewers, we've we've had our bumps. We've had our bumps. We're trying to get used to everyone's company again. So uh yeah. In a new location. We are right? well, that's the other thing. We're we're throwing this off, recording this at Ryan's um on Sunday afternoon after the Christian Yelich home run. So all those bobbleheads were shaking in the stands. Yeah. Yes. Uh, and the reason we're here is because we are going to be recording this week the Minor League Extra podcast, where JP and I are going to talk a lot about the draft. So it'll basically be, I think, mostly about the draft, right? We'll, we'll do our players of the month and then pretty much talk about the draft. Yes, sir. We're going to talk about, I would imagine, you're going to talk a lot about the Astros as well. I would think, why would I talk about the Astros? Because of the, every- the MVP machine thing? Everything you've talked to me about the draft has been in relation to what the Astros have done. Yeah, I, it's on the brain at the moment. So, Well, that'll be, be exciting. And anybody who wants that, they can go to our Patreon page, patreon.com slash tailgate. Everybody that's a uh, ball and glove level patron or above, you will get that minor league extra podcast. So please check that out. Uh, we want you to help fans find the podcast by rating and reviewing Milwaukee's Tailgate on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Uh, we always look for listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in the Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. Milwaukee's Tailgate is sponsored by Carbon Ford Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the... You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Some of the current uh, spring and summer seasonals uh, that are now available include Tokyo Sauna, Fruit Punch, Fantasy Factory IPA, Radicats, New England Style IPA, and you can find cans of America AF Watermelon Kolsch. Also, get 20% off merch at the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKE Tailgate. As always, check out carbon4.com for more information. Carbon 4, beer, brilliance this was supposed to be a good week for the brewers i mean it kind of has been but it was supposed to be like a really good week because we finally got that schedule we finally got the marlins okay and the joke was like oh the cubs look they're kind of barely taking first place in the division but they've had like all their games against the marlins in the season i mean if you extend it back a series they've taken five of six from the pirates 
but depending it's the, what happens on on Sunday against them, and then they lost two or three to the Marlins. So, you know, like you can't ask for much better than you know a week where they went. What was it? Six of eight. I know, but they were supposed to sweep the Marlins. What what happened, JP? They got killed that first game. They gave up sixteen runs, and then they decided to get shut out in that game. <laughs> I think decided to. I mean, I think they didn't try hard enough. <laughs> Clearly, a lack of effort. Right. They basically saw who was on the schedule and they said, yeah, we don't even need to show up for this. And then suddenly they found out they were down 16, nothing. They didn't show up. It was something to watch. There was a little bit of like, you know what? I'm going to I can feel this pain right now and I'm just going to stick with it. I'm going to sit in it a little bit and just work through this game as it goes on and on just to see what my pain tolerance is. Because you you wanted to watch it to remember what it was like to feel. (laughs) <laughs> he, seriously, yeah, it was it was my version of Fight Club as I sat there at night watching a baseball game. But Taylor Williams really had a rough game. Yeah, and he's back down in AAA again, and you just continue to wait for it with him to see if he can figure it out and make it all click. But I mean, it made fair, it made sense. I, Hold on, I mean, it made sense for him to uh, for him to be left in like that to to wear it when they were already down for nothing, and then he starts adding to the problem like it's a very very low percentage to win that game at that point so for him to have to wear it i get it it made sense but it was still ugly to watch what i was going to say is uh you continue to wait for it to 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 click i do continue to wait for it to click yeah well you're a taylor williams honk from way back too so like that's not you know it's not entirely me there's still first of all don't use the royal we because (laughs) i don't want to be included in this number two I don't want to be included in your Jacob Barnes and Taylor Williams will eventually be like, you know, closer level relievers weight weight contest. Um, <laughs> and number two, I did like Taylor Williams for for a while. Uh, I did like Taylor Williams when he was coming up. But as always, your evaluations change. And when you're talking about liking somebody, that's not a guarantee that they're going to be doing well. There are probabilities and issues that come along with it. So just because, you know, we like somebody doesn't mean that they're automatically going to be good. No, it doesn't. And the thing is, with the way bullpens are now, you need to run like 12 credible options through a year at least. So you're going to have to give shots to guys like Williams and Barnes to see if they can click while you still have them under team control and while you can still option them up and down just because they provide that opportunity. Right. I mean, Taylor Williams's big issue is we can talk about the stuff all day long, and it's the exact same conversation with Barnes. It's he can't throw strikes. Yeah, it comes and goes, at least. And when it's when it doesn't work, it's just terrible because he can barely be around the zone. He won't get the ball. He won't get the calls around the zone. And then all of a sudden he has to bring it in and guys are just sitting there salivating at teeing up on a a relatively straight fastball that they know is going to be in the zone. So I mean, He's walking over four per nine. Yeah, like, that's not good in 2019. That's no. not good. That's not good in any era. Yeah. <laughs> uh, also not great. Uh, Jimmy Nelson made a return to the mound. Um, I, You know, the thing is, first start back in 21 months. Yeah. Is that what the count was? It was about that. Yeah. Yeah. It was great to see him back. Yeah. I went very happy to go to that game. You were invited to that game, too, but you couldn't go. So. We have T-ball and all kind of stuff going on right now. Yeah. It was but, the last week of school. And I mean, he was he was fine those first two innings. The third inning, he just completely lost his command and got lit up for it. So Well, and I mean, 
as much as Jimmy Nelson has been pitching and extended and he had, you know, some time in AAA and he's been going through this stuff, he's still getting used to his breaking stuff. You know, having the feel for all of your pitches at all times isn't something that is exactly easy to pick up after 21 months. So I think that we should expect him to look really good at times. We should expect him to kind of lose it um, because when we saw him coming up as, you know, a big leaguer when he was in his first couple of years, that was who he was too. He looked great at times and and then he would just kind of lose it in a start for a little bit. And he was able to find his consistency in what was it? 2017 now? Yeah. Uh, 2017 was when he was really starting to find that consistency to kind of level up as a, as a big league pitcher. And unfortunately the, the freak injury sliding back into first base that's kind of set that development backwards a little bit. And he needs to be able to find that consistency and that feel for all of those pitches again. Yeah, it's a good shout. He did seem like more of the 2015 or 2016 version of himself in that game than what we saw basically at all in 2017. He really had found another stride there. And that would, it's something we should have kind of expected. I mean, it, there, it isn't going to be a, a perfect road back if he ever gets to that point again. We'll have to wait and see, but we shouldn't have expected him to come back and be great right away. So I I didn't expect it, so I I wasn't surprised at all. Sorry, I was I, say, I'm always going to be a Debbie Downer about Nelson. I think just achieving kind of that serviceable starter right now is kind of what we can hope for. And anything else and anything is beyond that, we're fortunate to see a guy come back from a pretty catastrophic injury. And I'm not writing him up. I'm just saying like expectations at this point. Um, and it was interesting because he's been striking guys out in AAA. He only had two strikeouts in that in three innings. Well, yeah. And it, it was largely the command just completely evaporated, and you're not going to get guys to strike out in the major leagues if you're not commanding your pitches. So. Now, a guy who do, did get strikeouts was uh, Adrian Hauser when he came in in relief of Nelson. He ended up striking out seven in three innings. Yes. Hauser's, Hauser's been great as of late. Yeah, he is a sneaky good uh, prospect, and we're – in pretty good shape. It was somebody pointed it out to me this week, and I can't remember. Maybe it was Jay Google pointed it out to me that like, how lucky are the Brewers that he was granted that extra year of uh, of options at the beginning of this year? Because otherwise, they were going to be faced with some tricky choices to make early on in the season. He may not be on this roster right now. He may have been forced to have been let go. If they would. They would have found a space, a spot for him. They would have figured out a way to make that work, but it it would have been trickier. It would have been a difficult thing for them to to navigate back when they were getting their heads handed to them every night back in April. Their pitching staff. It would have been tricky to get around that without being able to send him up and down. And I so, think we're seeing the payoff now. So Hauser gave up five earned runs in his first big league outing of the year, which was a start against the Cardinals. And since that point, he has gone eighteen and a third innings and has given up uh, two earned runs, and both of those earned runs came on the exact same day, which was uh, May 12th against the Cubs. Aside from that, he's given up some hits pretty much every single time he's he's been up. So I don't want to like overstate that he's been utterly dominant, but striking out uh, over a batter per inning and his his walk rates have have been OK. But overall, he's been able to just be lights out coming out of the bullpen, which is the kind of guy that they need him to be. They need him to to be a guy who can soak up some innings if needed, they need him to be a little bit more flexible in, in the bullpen. And he can be that swing guy, the kind of like the swing spot starter if needed. JP is still a guy you'd like to see get a shot to start down the road. Not now, obviously, but down the road. Uh, well, I don't know 
I don't know if that happens with the Brewers. I would like him to be able to try to get to start in his career. I don't necessarily know if I want to be in a position in which I feel like he is one of the top five options for the Brewers going forward as the starter. Yeah, I mean, if it were to come to pass that they needed him to step into the back of the rotation because there were some injuries or ineffectiveness or what have you, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. Like, that's not bad, but it would mean that their their options have somewhat dwindled. Right. That's why I said he was, you know, that swingman spot starter if needed. And one of the guys who is a legitimate option in the rotation is Freddie Peralta, who went six innings. He only gave up one, and he had uh, nine strikeouts to basically right the ship against the Marlins in that final game. Yeah, and I was able to catch bits and pieces of that, and man, was his location on. Like, he was really working the ball to all four quadrants, and he looked good in that start, like as good as I've seen him. And I granted, I did not see the the start uh, he made against, what was it, the Reds earlier this year? Yeah. Yeah, I, I missed that big, great performance. Uh, but it, he looked legitimately really good, and I'm excited to see him continue to get chances here. Yeah, I mean, Peralta is is who we thought he was. We we have, uh, well, at least, I, I guess I don't want to speak for everybody, but at least I have been pretty clear that, like, he does this from time to time. It You don't necessarily know what you're going to be getting from Freddie Peralta on any given day, and just because he implodes one day doesn't mean he's not going to go out and throw eight innings of, you know, shutout baseball the next day. It You just don't really know because of the kind of pitcher he is, um, the way that he's able to work the zone, the kind of fastball that he has on any given day, his command comes and goes, much less his control. And Freddie Peralta, when he's on, it looks unhittable. Um, and when Freddie Peralta can't find the zone, it's it's a tough watch. Um, he reminds me a little bit, and I don't want to like stretch stretch this too much, but he reminds me a little bit of Francisco Liriano from time to time, where you were like, if Liriano was on, he was excellent. Like they're not the same kind of pitcher, but it's the same kind of like every single time that Liriano stepped on the mound, you weren't necessarily sure what guy you were going to be getting on any any given day. But if it was on, it was on. And Freddie Peralta is a little bit that guy for me, which is why earlier in the year it was so weird where he had a tough start and they were like, well, guess we got to send him down because of that. I was like, did you think that like he didn't have this in him? Of course he has this in him. He could have also been phenomenal and that didn't mean anything in terms of his next start. So Peralta is like a a, a great wild card if like if, if he's ever ever able to find consistency with his with his control um he can be really good over over a long stretch it's just we don't really have any evidence that that that's going to be the case right now and so i always when Freddie Peralta's on it, it's really nice to be able to kind of like wait a couple of innings and then see how it's been going and you're like ooh we got the good one today and then tune in yeah. So we do have a question from uh, Jay Google. He asks, what's the best strategy for Peralta and Burns going forward for the rest of the year? And, you know, this gets a little more difficult with, you know, Nelson's back. Um, Chase Anderson's pitching fine, would we say? Yeah, I mean, he's having another fine but unspectacular he, he's start keeping, today. You know, the teams, they stay in the game. He's not, you know, fantastic. He's not that ace we saw a, a couple years ago. But he's been, you know, pitching pretty well. Um, Gio's going to be back. Uh, Chassin's going to be back. You know, what do you do with some of these young guys, aside from Woodruff, who's one of the locks in the rotation? You have Woodruff and Davies. They are the clear two best starting pitchers 
so far this year. And uh, I think you can draw a line right after them and say those are the two guys that are kind of in unnegotiably right now. Um, so, and the team has used both Peralta and um, Burns out of the bullpen. Yeah, I think we're going to see more of Freddie in the rotation, and we'll see more of Burns in the bullpen going forward. Though I wouldn't say we're just going to see that. Like, we could see Freddie move back to the bullpen as well, and we could see Burns maybe get starts down the road, depending on how things shake out. But I think it's trending more in the direction of Freddie in the rotation and Burns in the bullpen, at least for this year. Yeah. JP, do you think they're going to be the guys that kind of swing back and forth when they need a fill-in or a spot start? In terms of Peralta and, and who else? Peralta and Burns. I, I don't think, yeah, I don't think actually Burns is going to be a guy who gets too many more starts if needed. I think right now what, to me, seems to be pretty clear is Shasin, they said, is is going to be able to, to come back, I think, right at the end of his, his 10-day DL st- or uh, IL stint. But they're saying it's going to take Gio a little bit more time. And it's one of those things because I think Gio went down with, what was it, dead arm? Yeah. And that's one of those things in which you're like, oh, he needs a little bit more time. The moments in which they don't necessarily have any obvious moves in the rotation to be able to make. Because Gio right now, if he comes back and is healthy, if Shasin is back, it's not clear that Gio fits back into the rotation either. And so they, they're kind of doing what, you know, kind of writ large with what we've been seeing with, with Hira. And right now they're just basically, and I don't want to put too much in this because I don't want to make it sound like they're gaming the system, but they've got a guy on the IL right now and they've been doing it with options to be able to say, yeah, we're just going to let that slide a little bit. We're not going to be doing anything in terms of roster moves until we have to. Even though they could have gone out and signed a uh, Dallas Keuchel for, uh, well, he went to the Braves for one for thirteen. Yeah, it's a great deal for the Braves. I mean, pay fourteen, fifteen million for Keuchel, prorated yeah. to twenty million now. However, they wanted to do the accounting. <laughs> no, that was that was it was it was funny. I I noted that on Twitter that everybody you could tell the the reporters who want to stay in Boris's good graces by the ones who were making a big deal out of the fact that it was prorated twenty million dollars. Because Boris doesn't like to admit that he's gotten beaten, which he pretty clearly did with Keuchel. So, sure. Did he get? I mean, thirteen for a little more than half a season or two thirds to not be able to, to not be able to get a multiple year deal on Dallas Keuchel. Yeah, that's not that's not Boris's fault. Um, that's much more for me. You're basically then saying Keuchel comes in and he gets to go to everybody else and says, "Well, they're like you're getting older," and he's like, "Well, I just sat out half the year and didn't have to pitch, so my arm's fresh." Yeah, Let's but go. I mean, Craig Kimbrell got three years, so Craig we, Kimbrell, Craig Kimbrell is not really the same caliber of pitcher as as uh, as Keuchel is. I think Kimbrell is is seen as much more of an impact guy than somebody like Dallas Keuchel is. Yeah, but then again, he's also in the bullpen, and bullpens are all one trick carnies, right? Well, Steve? they are, but I know there, you know, there's hand wringing that you know, look at that deal the Brewers could have had Keuchel, but we just ran through the options they have. Who would you want? I mean, you can kind of say here. Here are some guys we'd rather have Keuchel than, you know, uh, yeah, Geo in mean, the rotation, for example. But sure, I would rather have Keuchel than Geo. But for the price, I don't well, know. I was gonna say I don't really care about the the price piece, but it's it is much more. It, it's very difficult because all the conversations we were having about Jimmy Nelson and a long extended layoff and and how good is he going to be coming back. 
we really don't know what Keuchel is going to be. Like, we don't have all that many examples of a free agent sitting out three months and then coming back. So I don't know if, if Keuchel is going to be the same guy he's been over the last three years or if he's going to come in and really struggle to kind of get his feet wet. Uh, is he going to be a guy who kind of needs a pseudo spring training to kind of get going? And so we're not going to really see what he is until after the all-star break. I don't really know what to expect from Keiko going forward. Uh, and so I think what basically came to pass was the team that really needed the team that was willing to take that shot was the one that really had dire issues in their starting rotation and, and the Braves with, with, uh, Kevin Gaussman and Mike uh, with Fulte basically being terrible every fifth day. They needed somebody. And of course, they could have gone to one of their bevy of, of AAA pitchers, but they, they went with Keuchel and everybody else who basically was like, we have internal options that are kind of working. We don't necessarily need a wild card kind of shied away. Yeah, and we do have a Patreon question from Adam Post where he asks, what do we think of the deals for both Keuchel and Kimbrell? Um, did the Brewers miss out on opportunities to improve the team? Or would those deals uh, not have been reasonable for the Brewers to make? So, Ryan, what are your opinions on that? I mean, I'm glad they didn't do the Kimbrel deal at the price that it was at. It's It could be reasonable. It might end up working out for the Cubs. I have some questions long-term about what Kimbrel is going to be, where he's headed. I think there's a pretty decent chance he's headed to be kind of just a an average, fine, late-inning reliever, uh, but not anything like the the stud he's been, which has been basically to this point in his career, Mariano Rivera. Like he his uh, ERA plus is even a little bit better than Moe's career ERA plus. So, well, Rivera pitched into his 40s. He did, but Kimbrel is trending down and Kimbrel doesn't have that like one magic pitch that I don't know, never didn't... seemed to go away for Moe ever. Well, Rivera had moments where he was, you know, quote-unquote trending down he had shaky moments but he never it was for a few weeks he would have a few bad weeks and yankee fans would get all excited well i mean a lot of people are are focusing on kimbrell you know wasn't lights out in the playoffs or something like that he was bad in the playoffs legitimately bad point being that i think is stuck in people's minds a little bit more recency bias there's some of that then is probably legitimate so I'm sorry. If you're talking about Kimbrel is trending downwards in terms of his stuff, I'm not necessarily sure what you're looking at. Um, just sort of the the all around picture is not great. I what I does that mean? It. Everything it, was sort of trending what down. does he the throw? Velo- the velocity was trending down somewhat. It's not it, his velocity. No, his velocity is the exact same it was in 2014, 15, 16, and then it went up in 17, 18. Or no, 16, when, 17, and trended down no, in 18. No, it didn't go up in twenty in 2016. I'm looking at the numbers right now. He went up kind of a near one mile per hour in 2017 and then went back down to his career norm right after that. So from 17 to 18, he did have a drop-off. But he wasn't... He, <laughs> dropped, he dropped off to his career norms, yes. Okay. Um, like, his strikeout rate was pretty much the exact same, which is uh, elite, up near 40%. Uh, his... Uh, swinging strike rate in his down year, apparently when he lost some velocity, was over 17%. His The ability to find the strike zone would, was his big problem. The walks were way up, though, correct? That Yeah, that's what, yes. The walks were uh, up. And I just, it was three years, 43 million. Like, it was what Lance Lynn basically got, plus a couple million per year. I don't, I, 
Craig Kimbrell's contract is not a bad contract. It's basically asking him to be a one and a half win pitcher each year. One and a half I, out of the bullpen, though. That's I. I always have problems with war in the bullpen, but okay. That, he needs yeah. to be. He needs to be a solid late innings option that the Cubs want to have out there on the mound in the seventh, eighth, and eighth, ninth innings of close games. Yes, for that to be justified. Correct. And so he has had an ERA over three once in his entire career. Yeah, I mean, he has been fantastic in his career. Like I said, he was basically Mariano Rivera in his 20s, which Mariano Rivera didn't even turn into Mariano Rivera until he was like 26. I think basically I think what you're trying to do is saying he's getting older and trying to say that there's some statistical like reason why we should be skeptical when you're skeptic when you're being skeptical because he's getting older. Yeah, Ryan, when what age do players peak? Because we know I don't even like know how old Craig you know they, is. you know they trend up and then they hit their peak and you, then they trend down. That's your view. You know, you know <laughs> that is over 30 years old. He's 31 or 32. Yes. Somewhere in there. Okay. Yeah. The issue with somebody like that, it probably, this is probably too much of the recency bias from last postseason, to be honest. It probably is still too much of that. It, we will see where he's at. Closers go through ups and downs. Most of them, like very few don't go through significant ups and downs. And he will probably have to learn some new tricks and figure some things out, different ways to get by as time catches up with him but it's fair it's fair it's probably too much recency bias i don't know if that time is going to catch up with him in two and a half seasons or whatever it is which what will be fun is with limited appearances this season when he blows one i look forward to how fans in chicago react because it will be it will be perfectly reasonable and in line with the significance of how he pitched to, to answer the question, I'm I'm fine with without Keiko. I think Keiko would have been a nice addition prior to the year, but with some of the other additions that they've been able to make, and with the fact that Woodruff really has kind of staked a claim, and now that we know Jimmy Nelson's back, we've got a lot of things that we didn't necessarily know three months ago. But I still think Kimbrel would have been a nice signing. I I wouldn't have had any issue with that whatsoever if the Brewers would have gotten him for that. I think the reason that he went to to Chicago is that was the one place in which he could have gone in which he knows he's going to be the closer. Every single other place was, he might not be the closer. And well, he, wants to, he wants to chase. Well, the hold record. on a second. Now is there's, you could make an argument that bringing Kimbrell in and saying, you're the closer would allow them to use hater more effectively again. Yeah. I, I, I mean, suspect- for that reason, the Brewers just, could have gone out and legitimately said, we want you to be the closer and we're going to pay you to yep. do that. They could have. They absolutely could have. But I think that if you're Kimbrell, you know that if you have two bad outings, everyone is going to say, well, we've got the best reliever, one of the best relievers in baseball, put him in as closer. Yeah. Like we we had him be a good closer for two and a half months. Here's this new guy who struggled, you know, once or twice. Go ahead and put in the guy that we already know is really good. But you're exactly right that they don't need, need to use Hater in that way. But I think he went to the one place in which he knows that internal competition wise, he doesn't have any competition for the ninth inning for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Getting back to Keiko, I would have, I think what we were talking about before makes a lot of sense. Him instead of geo, I would, I would definitely rather have him instead of geo, but 
having Gio already on the roster and having the guys they already have, I don't think that there was a crying need for him because he's probably going to be just sort of a rotation stalwart. And what they, if they're going to add to their rotation at this point, you're probably looking for somebody who can be better than that. You know, I was thinking before I wanted to compare Shasin and Keichel. I was thinking, oh, you know what? I think they're going to be pretty close as far as what production wise the last couple of seasons. And it hasn't been. Shasin at his best is a two win pitcher. And Keuchel, even though we think, I don't know, my, my perception is he's dropped off a little bit because he had such a fantastic Cy Young season. You know, he's still clo- a three and a half to four win pitcher. Yeah, but that's because it depends on what you look at, right? Sure. But I, I'm saying like D- DRA, stuff like that. He was, yeah. you know, a much better pitcher. He was significantly better than what Shasin is. Yeah. If you if you use baseball reference war in which it actually uses run like uh, run prevention rather than FIP or DRA, then yeah, I think that he he's much better. But otherwise, I think that they'd be much closer. I'd have to look it up, but um, but yeah, I mean, Keiko gives gives certainty. He's he's a guy that you can say he's most likely, barring injury, going to give you 190 innings and be a number three starter. And well, and we're hoping, we you know, there's there's been some debate about that though, the 190 innings. Like, I mean, that's kind of been the rumor around Keuchel, though, is how healthy is he? Because he had back problems a couple years ago. And, I mean, he had some other issues where he's been a 140 to 160 inning pitcher. Yeah, but that's why I said barring barring health. But, yeah, I mean, there there have been some ideas that maybe he's been injured. But I think what we've seen with the fact that both he and Kimbrell signed immediately after they were eligible to, to not cost a draft pick. It's pretty clear what the issue was. Oh, yeah, that's totally legitimate. And it's stupid because most teams, wherever they were picking, whatever they what picked that, whatever pick they were going to punt wasn't going to be most likely wasn't going to be as valuable as what they got out of either of those two players. Well, the Cubs would have had to have punted their first round pick for him, which would have been the 27th overall pick. Who would they take um, that? <laughs> that pitcher that nobody expected them to take who throws really hard but uh, wasn't high on anybody's list. Mm, solid. I was I was trying to catch you out, but yeah, that that is who he took. Um but I was going to say the 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 pick that like nobody cared about. Um it is really weird to think cuz to me this is basically a signal that every team was t- was sending to players to say that don't you know, it either take either if we give you the, uh, you know, the, the, whatever you want to call it, the, the guaranteed contract, um, qualified offer, that's what I'm looking for. Uh, so if they give you, if, if we give you the, the qualified offer, take it because if you don't take it, no one's signing you. Yeah. I mean, Grundall is a decent lesson in that too, where the Brewers essentially gave him the qualifying offer plus what? 2 million. Yeah. It's, it's what we've been seeing going on is now every single player is going to, if you're not an elite, elite player, you're going to really question whether or not you should be turning that down because you basically know your market's gone. Well, like we've talked about, I mean, front offices are savvy enough now that they want to play pay veteran players who are free agents for the production they're going to get from them. Mm-hmm. Not what they got. You don't. What, you don't. What they've done in the past. You don't get your bonus for earning the fact that you made it to free agency anymore. Yeah. Which again goes back to the salary structure in baseball is broken. Right. If you want to get compensated 
for the player you've been in your career up to that point. Right. But the fact that Kimbrell still signed a multi-year deal for four for you know 43 million is basically still just saying that you you would have been signed for probably more and you would have been signed earlier if you didn't turn down that qualifying offer. Yeah, so it it'll be again next off season is probably going to be a treat to follow. Yeah, we'll see how it plays out at this point, but the players are just going to get more and more dug in to a stance that will probably lead to a labor stoppage. Yeah, they should dig in, but those guys are going to suffer in the short term. Well, and that's why there have been those rumblings of uh, the meetings this spring training. All the uh, when they had their union meetings and they'd like go out to the the fields because they didn't want to be in the clubhouse where they could potentially be overheard. So they'd go out to like some backfield on whatever training facility they're at. And the rumor was they turn that, all the fans on in case they were bugged. Yeah, the the rumor was is that what they were being told was start saving your money now, start preparing because we need to be ready to stand together and fight against baseball in this next labor negotiation because it's going to be armageddon but your issue is going to be the same as it's been for years it's your issue is going to be the fact that the issue the the primary driver of all of these things in terms of the economy of baseball is driven by people uh the the disadvantaged position that people who are not either valued in the union or not unionized you're going to have to have a bunch of people that are saying I need to fight for people that are not in this union. I need to fight for people that don't have positions in this union because eventually we need to make something better for them. Yeah, the tricky thing that's going to happen here is a generation, there's a lost generation of guys who thought they were going to get paid in free agency who haven't, who probably never will at this point. And they're going to need to stand up and say, I understand that I'm not getting what I thought I was going to get, but I don't want this to happen to the next generation. And That would be a first for players. Well, well, no, it wouldn't, because that's actually that's not true, because that's in 94. That's exactly those guys stood together against baseball. And that's what kept them together and kept them fighting through the winter. Even was they were willing to do that because they had been schooled on it. Basically, they had been told this is we have to fight because the previous generation sacrificed for us. We need to sacrifice for future generations. Right. We need to be willing so, to pay that price. And we'll see if if they're able to get that because the level of money that's in the game at this point has provided a standard of living and like a, a general, you know, overall, you know, just level of wealth that uh, I think they, they want to maintain. And affluence can sometimes lead to. Well, let's. I want to bring up one thing because, uh, and then we need to probably yell about cussing your hero a little bit. But um, oh, I didn't even know if I was going to bring that up. But okay, okay. Uh, well, I was just thinking about labor stuff, and I didn't know if Ryan was going to bring up Super Two things. Uh, but I think what ends up need to what needs to happen is that free agents and veteran people need to understand in the baseball game that the reason why they're not getting paid isn't because of analytics. It's not because of collusion. It's not because of any of these things. What it is, is every single team knows that it's a be- it's a better investment for them to play young players who have their salaries artificially depressed. If younger players have more money tra- traveling to them, veteran players will get paid. Yep. You need to raise the uh, league minimum. You need to shorten the pre-arb time. You need to uh, up what they get paid in Arby, all those things will help get veterans more money. Yep. 
And it will be tough on the brewers as they have to adapt to that as a smaller market. But it'll be interesting to see what happens um, and what they get. Okay, so going back to the brewers, uh, they've done pretty well against the Pirates. They have three in a row coming into Sunday. We're currently watching a 2-2 game in the top of the eighth with Jefferson. Um, Travis Shaw is back up. Uh, he's three for 12 so far with a double. He's drawn four walks. He's got four strikeouts. JP, initial thoughts on Travis Shaw being back. I, I thought he deserved to be back. I think Travis Shaw is having an opportunity to come in and show that, um, you know, he can still be a productive hitter. I think he's been fine. I don't have any complaints about, about him at all. What I was pleased to see is him get into multiple situations where he had two strikes and maybe zero or one ball and working walks. He's patient. He's not getting himself out at this point. He's not trying to do too much. He did have a double and he had another hit that it, it was a very nice defensive play that kept it from being another hit so he's hitting the ball reasonably well he's making contact and the approach has been a lot better than what we saw before he went down where he was getting himself out a lot and he hasn't done that so far that we've seen so that's a very positive step yeah so eric thames has been playing well that's been good to see on the flip side uh jesus aguilar has been unplayable well, I mean, he's playing today. He they, was playing on Sunday. They, year, so. they, the Brewers have kind of viewed him as unplayable. He, he's barely gotten a chance to get out there for anything. Well, he's he playing against lefties. He started. He started two games in June, and yeah. those were the games started by left-handed pitchers. Sure, uh, but so he's clearly on the short side of a platoon. This isn't a yeah. We got a lefty and a righty. They're kind of splitting games evenly. It is a hard platoon. I mean, at this moment, yes, but and that's that not good change. for Jesus Aguilar. It's not good for his long-term outlook, but it's also where they are as a team right now that he, Thames has clearly earned the opportunity to be on the field against right-handed batters, and Aguilar hasn't gotten that. So right now they can carry it and make it work. In, Go ahead. In Eric Thames' uh, last 17 games, he's hitting 278, 371, 500 with an OPS over, over 870. He's absolutely producing. He is the guy that I think all of us said was probably going to be the odd man out when Keston Hero was going to be coming up. And exactly when Keston Hero was, I don't, I, I don't remember the exact date that that Keston Hero came up, but it was very, very close to that that moment in which basically it was Eric Thames needs to kind of put up or shut up, otherwise he could be DFA'd by the time Travis Shaw's coming back. Eric Thames has been excellent, and that's primarily what's causing the problem because he was the odd guy out and he's forced his way back onto the team and the problem isn't Travis Shaw it's the fact that Jesus Aguilar has been borderline unplayable other than the short side of the platoon and as we've been talking about again and again do you carry a first baseman that's the short side of the platoon is that more valuable than what Kesson Hira can bring well the question is though with Jesus Aguilar you can sit him and he basically just plays against your left-handed hitters or left-handed pitchers. And I just said, is, is that more valuable than Keston Hira? But what is Keston Hira's he playing time? He asked you a question. Like? Don't That's ask another question. No, oh, sorry. <laughs> he asked you a question. Don't ask another question. No, it's not because Keston Hira would not be playing or he would be taking playing time away from Travis Shaw, uh, Mike Moustakas, who's been incredible this month. He's, he wouldn't take time away from Mike Moustakas. Well, no. He, he would have to take time away from somebody because he would have to be taking time from either Shaw, Moustakis, or 
because he's not taking time away from Eric Thames. So I don't know. Could Keston Hira play first base? <laughs> Eric Thames is not a tall person. I mean, are, are we seriously talking about that? Uh, no, we're not going to be playing Keston here at first base. I don't think that's that's a legitimate solution to anything. Uh, but I I do think that there's a conversation to be to be had for saying that you know both Travis Shaw and and uh, and Eric Thames, while they can be good hitters, they they do also have a history this season of struggling over stretches. And Mike Moustakis deserves everyday playing time. Keston Hira has performed his way into everyday playing time. Even going down to AAA, he's been fantastic again. And I don't think you. I don't think it needs to be a scenario in which these things need to be overthought because you're worried about taking time away from somebody that you were saying is kind of struggling in the first place. I also don't think that needs to be a conversation to say that just because Kesson Hira is up, oh, he might need to take away playing time from other people. Uh, that's not a reason to keep him down. That maybe is a reason to bring him up and then like continuously rotate other players so everyone can get playing time. That's not, to me, a reason to keep him down in AAA. He doesn't need to play every day. He doesn't need to develop anymore. He's ready to come up. I wouldn't want to have him up here if he's not going to play at least three, four days a week, though, right? I'd... If that's the barrier of saying three or four days a week, you're worried about him taking away playing time for three. He can absolutely be worked in three or four days a week, if not more. I would say that he would be your everyday second baseman. Maybe you would have Mike Moustakis play second base every once in a while or something like that. But Hero would be your everyday uh, would be your everyday second baseman, and then you figure out how to to you know either give. Mike Moustakis everyday playing time at third base, second base, and if he can play a little bit of first base, that's great too. But to me, that you've got three guys that deserve everyday playing time, and it's Moustakis, it's it's Hira, and it's Arcia, and then you figure out everything else as it goes. It still seems like a, a tricky thing to me that you're going to... somebody It's also, somebody, it's also a, a tricky thing to have somebody that you're carrying that you're only willing to play once a week. I mean, it is kind of the path of least resistance at this point, though, other not, than that's, sending him down. That's not, that's not a reason for me to to avoid making the decision because it, it makes you not have to make a difficult decision. Well, OK, here's the other piece of this, though. Let's say Eric Thames is not a, a guy who has a stellar history of staying healthy. He can get hurt tomorrow. He could get hurt five minutes from now. And yeah, absolutely. And. At that point, then, if you don't have Jesus Aguilar on the roster anymore, now you really are scrambling at first base. Because no, I disagree with that. You don't – okay, because then what? who's your favorite with, first baseman? It's no, Shaw? I think with, with Shaw and Moustakis, you can cover that on first base because you have a lefty to cover Thames. Yeah, I mean – I'm not worried about that part of it. Then you are really shorthanded against – and one of the things that Jesus Aguilar was I mean, really the thing is, when you have Hira up, you get that righty in the lineup that you would normally get with Aguilar. One of the important things of having Jesus Aguilar on the roster was that he was one of the few power hitters that they had against left-handed pitchers. So I guess, should we look at this as you're moving that... If you remove Aguilar from the roster, you have Hira up, you have your right-handed bat. It does help. That does make it... You have your right-handed bat. You have the right-handed bat that you had, you thought you were hoping to have coming into the season without Kessin Hira on the roster. 
Yeah, but I mean, at that point, then Travis Shaw is your everyday first baseman, including against lefties, and I don't know if that's a situation well, you, you want to you be in necessarily. You're, you're playing Thames, and you're playing... Um, We're talking about it in the event Thames is hurt. So, just to be clear, because I know that this is getting bogged down in, in particulars, what you're talking about is that there's no perfect solution, and that's fine. And I'd rather get the best hitter up then. That's what I'm saying. Is like you're talking about what if there's an injury? We've been saying that for like three weeks. What if there's not an injury? Then you don't have any solution to this. And Kesson Yura, who's arguably one of your, he's arguably your best hitter in the infield, is not in because you've been waiting for this injury that hasn't been happening. Um, at what point. point are you? At what point are you making that call? Are you going to say that that's going to happen in three weeks anyway, and then you basically wasted three weeks? I mean, I don't at know. this point, there's nothing forcing it. We're at the beginning of June. I think by the end of June, you start to get to a point where you have to figure things out. But if Shaw starts hitting, I don't know. Good that players are kind of forcing it. Hira did not. Hira is not overmatched. Hira is clearly a major league hitter. Yeah, I mean, that doesn't mean that Keston Hira, uh, he was a guy who was striking out an awful lot when he was here. That he's versus not going the other to guys to, who are striking out a lot and not hitting, he's going to have to make adjustments. Is my point, and so this idea that Keston here, because we saw him be, you know, a one twenty OPS plus hitter in that brief period, it looks good. It, the The signs are encouraging. I was leading the Keston hero to be our everyday second baseman bandwagon until they signed Mike Mustakis. Like, I I am a believer in Keston hero. The problem is, is that. You're trying to keep as many options open to yourself because things happen and you want to keep okay, options uh, open. And right now, JP, Keston here in AAA is the option. Right. That and allows JP, them to at, the at what point at what point do we have to start saying, OK, enough with keeping options open. Now they have to start putting the best team on the field because keeping options open works early in the season when you're waiting things for to, to shake out. But you're going to get uh, to a point where you need your best players out there. Sorry, I just watched through the the, the computer here. Did uh, Mike Mustakas just go deep? He did with a runner on, so it's uh, four to two. Yeah, that a boy. Um, so in order, my biggest thing isn't that this move in a macro sense isn't rational. Of course, it's a rational decision. Of course, this is an option for you to be able to keep as many players and as many options open for as long as possible to be able to go. But at some point, you have to make a decision. And there's no reason why one week from now that that decision suddenly is easier than it is now. And in a month from now, you could be having the exact same conversation and a month more at bats from somebody like Jesus Aguilar or Eric Thames isn't going to make this easier because you're dealing in short samples and and anything that you're talking about for short samples isn't going to make your long term decision making any better. And so at some point you have to make a decision. And my point is that. Right now, if you're carrying somebody that you're not willing to play more than once a week or playing against, you know, left-handers in very, very specific spots because you think he's limited, go and actually take your best player or your best infielder who's in AAA and give him a shot to go because at some point you're competing and you have to make tough decisions. And that doesn't mean you're not potentially causing problems down the road. No, it doesn't. Yeah, I, I get that. And. I think that what we've seen from them, the David Stern's MO, and it has played out I, very I, well quickly. For them, okay, is okay. To I'm going to cut this off. Those decisions. I'm going to cut this off because we've gone through this before, and we just saw this Musaka's home run. And I'm going to bring up the fact that that's his fifth home run of June so far. Yeah, he's on a tear. He's been on a tear, but he's it's his 20th of the season. Mm -hmm. You know, and Yelich is 24 home runs. 
So we're, you know, Yelich were like MVP, all this kind of stuff, you know, look at the power, whatever. Moustakis has been a major, major power hitter for this team right now. Um, and we do have a Twitter question from Dan Larson, and he, he says, given how well both uh, Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis are playing this season, who would you rather sign to an extension this offseason? Do you think the team could retain both, and what would make sense for the roster moving forward? I mean, I prefer Grandal because I think that having his bat at catcher and having him be a, a very good defensive catcher, especially once you include the framing into that, but that that is a more valuable piece. I saw he had moved his way, middle of this week, he'd moved his way into the top 20 players of Fangraph's war for position players. He was like 17, and he was one of only two players over 30 on that list. It was him and uh, Brantley were the only two. So I lean that direction just because of the scarcity of bats. You don't find guys who are putting up those kind of offensive numbers at catcher very easily. So I lean that direction. Also knowing that Grendel is going to be more expensive. You're going to have to pay more to get him than Moustakis. So Moustakis is maybe the better option from a dollar per dollar perspective. But way to walk that back. JP, what's your uh, view on this? I, To be honest, I, I don't really know... I don't know if I'd sign either of them to extensions. Um, do you think that I do, I don't think that the team can afford based on the their current spending habits. Uh, I don't think that they would be willing to sign both. Um, the question for me then becomes: Do where do you where do you think you you have better uh, cover? Right? Do you think that you can sign somebody in free agency for for more? you know, less money than you would be able to sign Grandal, and he and Pena can kind of combine to be valuable enough or because at some point you're saying, do you think that Travis Shaw is going to have long-term issues? I still think he'll, he's probably going to be fine, which is why I don't think that, you know, Moustakis is a huge need, but Moustakis is going to be able to cover more positions in a pinch. And so for me, if I had to choose between the two, I might choose Moustakis, but I'm not 100% sure on who I would pick. I think that that catchers right now are going to be, um, especially when they don't have a pick tied to them, are are show are being shown that they're going to get paid more than somebody like Mustakas, who is an aging hitter, um, because aging hitters are not are not getting paid, and there are going to be other other catchers on the market. Uh, it might come down to how you feel about Lucas Ursig and AAA. He's been struggling pretty badly. Uh, but I think if I had to choose at this moment, I would choose Moustakis, but it would ultimately come down to what the price tag would be. I think Moustakis probably is going to be the cheaper one, but um, but I could see an argument for either, which is why it's a good question. Would you do four for 70 for Grendel in a vacuum? Just Is that a, a reasonable deal to you? I don't know off the top of my head. I mean, to me, I think it, it makes sense. I would do that. I think it, it fits kind of into where top-of-the-line catchers are getting paid. It's about $17.5 million a year. And I think that that, for four years, takes him into his mid-30s. And yeah, you may start to see a significant downturn towards the back end of that contract. And you do kind of have to live with that, though the Brewers are going to be in a, a weird place because that then plays right into the end of the the Yelich era, basically the end of where he's currently locked in through, which is the end of 2022. So getting so I think, Grandall for 
you know, those three years would be positive. And I think he would be able to carry that production to make that reasonable through that point. So for me, it wouldn't be about whether or not they could perform up to any contract that they would be given. I think for me, it's much more, how does it make, make sense in terms of roster construction? Can they find other pieces in which they would spend that money a little bit better? Um, I think what we've seen across the league for catchers, you know, Jason Castro who kind of has come out of nowhere and been reasonable. Uh, Robinson Chirinos has been excellent for, for the Astros. They're all going to be on the free agent market again. It's, Every single year for the past, well, not every single year, but for the past two years, we've been seeing kind of short-term catching deals and guys who kind of were fringy candidates turn out to be decent contributors over the course of an entire year. And I don't know if they're going to be able to find somebody that the, the organization looks comfortable is comfortable with and can play third base, second base, and potentially first base in, in Mike Moustakas. Um, I think ultimately it'll be where they feel that they can uh, internally build a roster that is, you know, where where they feel weaker. Where are they le- least? Where are they less confident that they can find somebody either in free agency or the trade market or internally? And right now, I think that Mike Mike Mustakis is kind of the guy that would be harder to replace than somebody like Grandall. Hmm. Okay. The, the flexibility argument makes some sense there, but I still think that offense at catcher is so hard to find. It's just really far, hard to find, especially sure, attached to a guy I, who can play defense. But I mean, like, I don't know, defense aging behind the plate makes me a little nervous. Like, if you want to hang your hat on that, I think both him maintaining his ability at the plate and holding on to that defense long term. Like, if you knew for sure he's going to hold on to one of those two skills, I think you'd be all right. Mm-hmm. But I think but, that's a big if. Well, and my and my broader point was that, uh, yeah, you want to say yes, Monty Grandal. It's it's hard to find that offensive production. Uh, he's got a one thirty five WRC plus right now, which is excellent. Uh, Robinson Chirinos, who's on one year deal, has been better. Uh, he has a one forty five. Jason Castro, who was signed on a one year deal, also better. One uh, he has a one forty five, and. I don't necessarily know in the kind of, and it's because of the juice ball situation, more and more catchers are being able to hit for power. Yeah. I mean, there is, there is some of that. You see it. Minnesota has a couple guys that are three guys that are like that with Estadio and Garver as well. So it, that maybe is changing the profile of the position. And we'll actually talk about some of the catcher stuff because that was an interesting development in the Brewers draft this week was they took, Three catchers in the top, what was it, six rounds, seven rounds? Yeah, so. and speaking of the draft, I know you wanted to touch on uh, the Brewers uh, taking Ethan Small with the 28th pick uh, this week. Um, Ryan, you want to give us a little information on that? Yeah, so Ethan Small is a big lefty, throws over the top. Uh, he had Tommy John surgery a couple years ago, and uh, since coming back, his velocity has been down a little bit. I, I've heard he was up in the more mid to high 90s like he topped out at 97 before Tommy John and now sits more 89 92-ish neighborhood and he's a weird one because he doesn't have great across the board stuff but does have incredible um fastball location and they really like the uh the pitch shaping that he does and that's becoming kind of a buzzword in baseball right now and wait is this different than pitch tunneling yeah, pitch shaping is different than pitch tunneling. 
Okay, so JP, I know uh, Brewers fans always cringe when they hear the Brewers take a pitcher in the first round. Is there what? What's the reason for optimism with the Ethan Small pick? He's he's relatively polished. I think is is the biggest thing to like about Ethan Small. He's a guy that is able to uh, command the strike zone with with his fastball, and he does a lot of things that the Brewers like in terms of analytics. He, he's and this is something that we'll talk about a lot more on the minor league podcast, but um, the Brewers went deep into TrackMan stuff and basically every single arm that they took profiles extremely well in terms of TrackMan and in terms of spin rates and everything. And, and the fastball fits a lot of things that the Brewers like. They like the way that the fastball runs. He's got, he, he had Tommy John surgery uh, and before Tommy John surgery, his fastball velocity was much higher. And so they probably like the idea that they can get a couple more miles per hour out of the fastball, but he has a lot of things that they really like. He's got advanced uh, kind of pitch ability. He's got the ability to to spin a breaking ball. He has a changeup, and his fastball was once much better, but right now plays up because of uh, the way that, you know, his arm slot, the way that he works it, and, and a lot of things with like spin rate. So he is kind of the prototypical guy if you if for an analytics driven organization that's looking at a lot of this stuff that uh, teams are using in terms of track man in terms of of uh, spin rates in terms of being able to kind of have ideal shapes for pitches and a lot of those things are are exactly what ethan small kind of like drives at um and by all accounts they're really saying he could move extremely quickly which i know as soon as we say that, everybody thinks about Taylor Youngman, and those things are, are legitimate. But um, yeah, as of as of right now, he looks like a guy that can kind of be a, a back to middle middle rotation guy um, and be a workhorse. Okay, and finally, Ryan, this one's for you. Which Hall of Famers have been taken with the twenty eighth overall pick in the draft? Which Hall of Famers have been taken with the twenty eighth overall? Yeah, pick aren't in the there draft? like cursed picks? Is twenty eight okay? I have no idea. I did not. Look what at was the line. pick? What was the pick? Like it was eighteen a few or years 17 ago. When seventeen when they they gave up seventeen to get uh, uh, Kyle Loesch, and there was a whole thing about how well nobody good has ever been drafted there except for Cole Hamels, who's been really good. So you know, Hall of Famer quality ish. So yeah, but not not that there's anything about the individual picks place that like had any influence on how they developed. No, it was interesting that the Brewers went with Small, a guy who most rankings kind of had him a little bit lower than that. I think people were thinking he was more of a second round guy than a first round guy. But at the end of the first round, like like JP said, you're looking at a team, the Brewers, because they gave up their pick and maybe they would have if they had the 41st overall pick still the pick they gave up to get Alex Claudio. Maybe they would have waited on Small. Maybe they would have felt okay about doing that. But you're still looking at a team that didn't pick for like 30 picks so if they wanted small they needed to basically pop them where they did and if it works out yes it, it's a reach on paper but it, that doesn't mean anything yeah jp at what point in the draft does a, a board a consensus board just become a complete wash well pretty much right at the beginning every team has their <laughs> own board uh, and every team has things that they want in terms of signability and profiles that they that they prefer um, and in, in the kind of the era of the bonus pool and, and slot money, it depends. Every single player 
well, let me put it differently. Um, every player is not giving the same signability number to every organization. Every organization has not done the work to understand what people will sign for. And everything changes because of that. I mean, there were, there were already pre-draft rumors that there were like prep hitters and pitchers giving different organizations, different numbers because they like their development systems more, or they didn't like their development system and they didn't want to go to certain places. Um, you've heard a lot of things about, uh, just scouts on the ground, being able to do the work and get to know players to understand what guys will sign for. Um, and in general, those things kind of play out further down after the first round, just because so many guys have done work on, uh, so many organizations have done work on guys, uh, in the first round that they just go and see all of those players. But in general, yeah, the boards are going to look different on every single organization, especially if they are going into this really analytics driven thing about, you know, exit velocity, if they're starting to look at track man stuff, uh, if they're preferring college hitters, um, all of those different things. Yeah. So, hey, if you want more information on any of this, remember, you can uh, join our Patreon at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. Uh, the ball and glove and above level members will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast where you guys are going to go into depth about the rest of the draft. Correct. Mm-hmm. That's fine. We will. So if you want to hear that, join our Patreon and you'll get that podcast and all of the back minor league extra podcasts as well. So absolutely. You'll have hours and hours and hours of stuff to listen to. So you can go back and track what their views were on Kesson Hira the entire time from when he was drafted on up. Right? Absolutely. Send us a bunch of emails and say that, hey, do you remember when you said this about X player? You're a moron. And we'd be like, yeah, probably. <laughs> I think we, we started the minor league podcast in February of 2018. And I think at that point, we, we both really liked Keston Hero. So. <laughs> well, so, I don't think that that was a really difficult position. No. Sometimes it's easy. Yeah. So um, also remember, you can follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com. Or you can send uh, questions through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and wherever you listen to podcasts. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. So thanks for listening, and look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.